Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry Podcast, the Yamcast, where we talk about everything the church needs to know and some things you don't need to know about failing forward in Young Adult Ministry. We are starting these monthly podcasts with a discussion about the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry. And anything else we feel like. Hi, my name is Kenny. I'm from Boise, Idaho. My name is Jeremy, and I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, and I'm, from, I'm Chris from Cincinnati, Ohio. And here we go. What's up, everybody? Good afternoon, and welcome to another recording of the Young Adult Ministry Podcast, also known as the Yamcast. Look at that cool hat Jeremy's wearing. Wow, the one and only. One of my siblings was was nice enough. One of my siblings was nice enough to get me some some yam swag for the for the podcast for my birthday. I turned the the ripe old age of twenty nine this last week. And you're getting to be an old millennial. Yeah. <laughs> but I just heard the oldest millennials right now are 39. That that is true. Yeah. Is that I think true? It's, it's um I was, talking with, I was talking with a few um of, of my generation that are a little bit older because they were saying that, that we're all still millennials, but now at, like um they're another pastor and they're like, but in terms of being a young adult clergy. I'm getting ready to, they're like, I'm a millennial, but I'm almost no longer a young adult. Um, so the millennials are slowly phasing out, phasing out of the, the young adult phase, whatever that is. They're going to yeah. become part of the establishment. <laughs> yeah. Chris, what are we talking about today? Some of us Gen Xers will have to uh, coach them a little bit on how, how to uh, transition into the aged population. Not oh, hey. I love your title. Well, hey, we are talking about everything you need to know as the church about how to fail forward in young adult ministry. That's what we're talking about today. Yeah, well and we are continuing these these podcast series talking about um, the book we've been uh, working through together, which is Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Making It Work, Making It Last. Not yet a sponsor of this podcast, but a really great book nonetheless. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and today we are looking at the final two mistakes, um, which is about halfway through the book, um, that the authors talk about um, typical mistakes made in young adult ministry. And we're going to talk about anything else we feel like talking about along the way. Those rabbit trails, we're not afraid to run down them and circle back. No way. My name is Kenny, and I'm in Boise, Idaho. My name is Jeremy, and I'm a college pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. And I am Chris, and I am in Cincinnati, Ohio, doing campus ministry at the University of Cincinnati. And I'm a volunteer at my, at my church, an adult director, pastor, volunteer person. Ish. Yeah, I'm, I'm the type of volunteer, uh, young adult volunteer that hosts a Cyber Connect for young adults at his church. And uh, just like normal, worship on Sunday mornings. Um, you'll show up and maybe there'll be some young adults there and maybe there weren't. And today I had a uh, cyber connect. We've been trying that for a few weeks and we have one or two that get on and we had no young adults that joined us this morning for cyber connect. And you know what? That's okay. They knew it was available. They knew it was there. I communicated with them. I think that's the important stuff. It would have been great to see some of them, but it's all right. They might have some zoom fatigue. 
it's fair enough these days. I feel like probably most of us have Zoom fatigue at this point. Mm. But not with you guys. Like, I enjoy this with you guys. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah, I have a Zoom uh, connect with some young adults at 7 p.m. this evening. So we'll see if it's just me. Is that a reality? Like, could that be a possibility, Chris? Or, or will there be, are there people for sure going to be there? And you're just trying to make me. I better? would be shocked if nobody pops in there. There's okay. potentially about 15. And it's more, it's a young adult class um, that I started helping with at church. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about where we're at in our, in our Corona conditions. I mean, we're in three different parts of, of the country of the U S my, my state here in Idaho is um, going into what they call phase one of a phase four plan. And it's, it's interesting. Um, People can't gather in groups of like 10 or more, I think, still right now in this first one, supposedly. But places of worship, as long as they follow the guidelines, can open back up. So we have churches in our area that are meeting again today, um, beginning to meet again today. And, and others, like my church, we're going to stay online for a few months. Um, and and I'm, I'm really excited about our leadership's vision um, that they have and they're kind of rolling this up into the bigger vision we have and like how to leverage this to come out with having both online home church and then larger group meeting spaces. So it's an interesting phase we're in in Idaho here. How are you guys doing in your States? What are the, the Corona conditions? Do you want to go first, Chris? Oh, it's all you tell us about Tennessee. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, um, interesting here because we're also in addition to our government like everybody else kind of figuring it out as we go um it's really warm here like it's mid 80s the last couple days so um as the state as a whole is opening back up to kind of i think i know it changes differently based off of state and region but we're the state as a whole is somewhere around like a phase one kind of reopening stuff um but waiting in terms of um church gatherings as of yet, but that probably will start happening in the next month. But um, metropolitan areas, so like Nashville, um, we are on a different schedule than the rest of the state, Um, partly because Nashville has the majority of the cases, um, uh, positive cases and deaths in the state. um, And uh, just because of how many people are here. So the city is a little bit more delayed. So we're technically still on shelter in place here. Um, or what's the the nice word they use? Um, safer at home, um, and so we're we're still doing that. You know, our our church we've already we had announced uh, last week that we are going to continue in services online throughout the month of May, with the the hope and the option that if stuff begins to open back up and it's safer and we can do stuff in and slightly larger groups more than ten that we will um, try to do some kind of like based off of different parts of the city gatherings, um, maybe focusing mainly on outdoors so that people can see each other, um, but that we continue to do our services. Since we're um, a slightly bigger church, it's going to be more of a decision-making process for us to figure out, you know, when do we bring several hundred people back together into a building um, and how do we go about that process over the next several months? So um, it'll be interesting because there's tons of people that with most of the state being open now, um, to some degree that, um, we, my family and I were driving around yesterday and like every single, 
um, pickup truck, I think in the entire state was out, um, driving with, um, boats, um, hitched up to the back of them, or I was out for a walk earlier and I saw a bunch of uh, jet skis that were getting pulled out to go to some of the lakes and stuff. So, um, hopefully people are doing so in a socially distanced way, but everyone's, I think, tired of being cooped up and with a little bit more freedom. Um, at least here in Nashville, people are just going out of the city to other places to be able to do stuff. So that's, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, I would I would say Ohio is still one of the ones that um, Governor DeWine is being very cautious. Um, and in fact, initially at the beginning of the week, he made a comment about requiring masks, the use of masks for everyone in the state if you're out and about, which was going to be actually more strict than we've been used to. It's been just more of a recommendation. So there was a ton of backlash over that. And he retracted that remark. It was like, well, you know, they're recommended. We're not going to mandate or make it a rule of law or something like that. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of how our governor briefing began this week. Um, But things are still pretty shut. He's extended the stay-at-home order through pretty much the month of May. So... um, I think if if the cases continue to, to decline, a uh, number of cases, confirmed cases and deaths decline in Ohio, there might, midway through the month, uh, dine-in restaurants and bars and gyms and theaters and all that might reopen mid-May, but um, we'll see. So it still feels pretty much the same. Not, not Nothing big has changed for us in Ohio. Yeah, I've seen it in some of the states where there's this, um, you know, move beyond the recommendation to wear a mask. Like, please wear a mask if you go. Some stores are saying, if you come into our store, wear a mask. For instance, Costco um, here on on Monday, they're requiring if you come into the store that you're going to wear a mask. I'm really interested to see how people respond to that. I have asthma. Uh, I was a late adopter to wearing masks out in public. Because earlier on, they were saying only people that like have contracted COVID need to wear a mask because then the droplets don't get on other people. But then they moved to the, everybody wear a mask. Let's just make sure we're all safe. You might not even have symptoms, but you could be spreading it. And so I've, I've personally felt like wearing a mask out in public was one, taking some measure, even if it's placebo for myself, like I'm doing something to help protect myself. But, but I also may be helping to prevent the spread in some way um, to someone else if I have it and I, and I don't have it. The big backlash on requiring to wear a mask if you come into someone's place of business and some of the responses I've seen out there, I don't understand that. Like, that doesn't, wearing a mask to me just seems like something really small that I can do to try to help out in, in some way. And it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't, I'm, I'm not hurting myself. It's not in, I don't feel like it's impeding on my rights. And that seems to be the thing that, that kind of comes out of this. What do you guys think about that rabbit trail? Um, I would say from the the real science that I've looked into and I've heard people talk about with masks, I don't think masks are as effective as people think or hope. So I personally don't feel the need to wear a mask and I'm not offended if someone else doesn't wear a mask. However, culturally, I feel like we've created this environment in which I did wear a mask as I went to the grocery store this past week. 
because I think it's more of just a gesture of I care enough about people around me that I'm going to wear a mask. Um, now, in the coffee shop at our nonprofit coffee house ministry thing at UC, um, we're actually going to be required, the employees will be required to wear masks beginning Monday. Um, and so the manager director guy, um, he is not super happy about that because he just thinks coming into a coffee shop and the barista is wearing a mask, it just is kind of anti-hospitality. And so it just kind of has this off-putting you know, vibe or whatever. Um, although I think for the few people that come in wearing a mask, that's not the effect. But for people who aren't wearing a mask and you come in and your barista has a mask on, I just think it it kind of just makes you think like, oh, wait, are you sick? Are you afraid you're going to breathe on my coffee? Uh, maybe I'll just leave. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, so he's just right. nervous about the hosp- the anti-hospitality effect of mask Yeah, I think that's kind of the catch-22 with it is like, um, even though it's becoming obviously more prevalent on a very quick basis that... Um, there's still, at least in my mind, like wearing a mask communicates th- like pr- previously wearing a mask communicated something either meant like you were probably sick or you were really, or you were really, really at risk. Um, and so now we're at a place where, um, you know, uh, depending on the mask, uh, and who you hear from, like the amount that it helps you. And at the same time, um, the, the psychological effect, like, so I've got, I've got one. Um, I've got a couple that, um, That's nice. I wear that, that are, that are nice and plaid that some friends made for us. Um, and you know, part of it is, um, with some, while it's limited in what I do, um, there are a few things where, um, during the course of my week, um, as a pastor that there's a few, like there's a few instances where I'll be around people who are more high risk than me. I've, I have really bad asthma. So, um, I also like, if this is something simple that I can do, um, to help, like try to help myself a little bit, I'll do it. And then also try to help others. You know, my, uh, my hand therapist, uh, for my, for my hand, they are asking, they're not requiring people to wear them. Um, but even like when I went to Starbucks the other day to get my, my birthday, um, my birthday drink, I, I took it with me. I took it with me yeah. and wore it. Um, not so much because I was, you know, personally afraid about the person handing me the drink through the, cause they're wearing a mask and they have gloves and stuff. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it was one small way for me to try to be kind to those who are having to work, uh, you know, you know, in a Starbucks working, uh, and they're having to interact with a bunch of people. Um, if I can put them at ease a little bit by wearing one, um, no, I'm not in a, you know, working like, like Chris was talking about, like, I'm not, um, currently in a place where it's, I'm in, you know, people are coming in and I'm serving them or their cl- like clientele and what that communicates. Though I know it's something we've been talking about in our church as a pastoral leadership. Like when we begin to open back up for services or gatherings in our building, like what do we wear and when, like, you know, you get up and you're going to preach, do you wear a mask up until you get up on the stage? What, like what, that, all the all the pieces to that though, yeah. So the the humorous thing of that though that I'll say real quick. And Kenny, you'd mentioned that you'd seen it online. I posted about it. So I went with my son because I was wearing my mask. He insisted on wearing his mask. Oh yeah. And so he had a oh, cape yeah. and this Spider Man mask on in the back seat um, while I was the bad guy. 
um, because I was wearing this. So you were covering your, um, yeah, you were, you, you, you look like somebody from mortal Kombat. you know? Yeah. So he, he insisted that I wear it the entire time that we drove, um, so that he could be, um, uh, attacking me, um, as Spider-Man the whole time. So, um, yeah, got <laughs> a know, good laugh I, out of that. I think if, if people could see just on a normal Sunday morning, the spittle plume plume that comes out from a pastor from the pulpit and like it's how far it reaches. I think we, there would even be less people sitting closer to the front. That's true. You know, there's some people that like at a concert or in a speaking situation, they want to be close enough to get sweat on them. I am not one of those people. And I gravitate towards the back pew for many different reasons anyway. Um, but it's interesting in our churches how there's usually, you know, there's always the people I'm going to sit up front and then there's all this space around him. Um, maybe that turns out to be an okay thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. With the mask thing, though, I personally, I, I at this point, I wear it because I'm trying to be helpful. And when I see other people wearing it, I'm thinking those same things about them. Um, I'm trying to understand the science behind all that. And I figure if there's less, less droplets coming out of my mouth, they're potentially getting in my mouth. And then I'm using, I use hands, I'm using hand sanitizer more when I'm out, yeah. like I'm thinking about that stuff. No, I feel self-conscious um, putting the here's lid little, on for a customer um, now. So I'll sometimes just, too, and this is probably just hand the lid, um, just set the lid by the drink on the counter. That way I'm, they don't, man they'll know that I'm not um, touching I'm anywhere Starbucks near the mouth. I'm glad taking all the precautions that they are. On and, the lid, you know, when we come so, up, so, Deborah and I go on a coffee date on Sunday. So this afternoon, we'll go by Starbucks and we'll pick up our coffee. concerned about Can't go in yet, but we're looking forward to that. It's one of the places that we want to go back to is just have that space together on Sunday afternoons um, as a couple. They wear masks. Um, they hand us our drinks. And the glove thing doesn't make sense to me because you can wear gloves. That's protecting you, but you're touching lots of different stuff and it's transferring everywhere. So the glove thing, that one, I don't, that one, I don't understand at all. Like hand sanitizer and hand washing that, that makes sense to me in that regard. Um, but we get our drinks and then I take a Lysol wipe and I wipe off the top of it and let it dry before I drink out of it. Is that, is that too extra? Like we, I wipe around the outs cause they've touched it and they touched all these other people and coming through. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? I think Chris would, probably, I'm, Chris would probably say it couldn't make the flavor of a Starbucks coffee any worse. It doesn't. I mean, it, but it, it, it evaporates. It evaporates. That was kind, Chris. I think you're thinking other things you're not sharing, but I think that's kind. Yeah. Well, culture, Jeremy, we're going to say something. Yeah. I was just going to. I was going to transition to the same place you were, which is speaking Take of us there. Speaking of COVID nineteen, um, for this episode, talking about our in our culture corner, um, a lot of our culture right now is dealing with. Uh, the realities of living with COVID-19. And so I'll let you explain it, but um, the, the, um, 
the article um, that we wanted to highlight this week from our friends over at Burlap, who are not yet a sponsor, but totally could be of this podcast, totally um, could is, be. is related to, to young adults and COVID-19 as well. So I'll let, I'll let you go ahead and uh, talk about the article first, Kenny. Well, yeah, I, I, this article really caught my attention because it's focused on Gen Z and, and millennials being having a very positive impact of um, not spreading yeah, the virus was, um, because they're already used to communicating congruent, I would say, with what small groups I'm of people encountering with young and adults. So as they pulled um, young adults, I'm living with a few young adults, um, they found at this moment, among Gen Z and millennials and this high sense of responsibility so extra ex- to not be a part of the spread to and to take right now, which is, precautions uh, that they felt like were um, necessary to. But yeah, to, I would say um, they're being I'll prevent they're the spread being of it. very cautious and mindful. Uh, encouraging. It's funny when in um, my future son-in-law, he's actually to going to be a, a nurse. Bit, you know, some so of he works 20 hours a week at you a know, hospital reported uh, near about, the university. You know, young adults and, on beaches um, or you know whatever. So it's not going to hurt in, me, so I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to. Cleaning, um, washing pans, taking a shower, get out of the room, touch anything, you know, whatever. So to have an article that I could read and that was about young adults feeling a real sense of social responsibility, which doesn't surprise me uh, here's an opportunity for a cause uh, here's an opportunity to make an impact and difference guess, might and we're already equipped with the digital tools um, to communicate with each stat, other if that was, um, uh, so we'll keep up our social networking different from we'll normal statistics 28% of young adults do you guys have any reflections uh, on it kind of millennials are playing some, some video games <laughs> that's definitely how I was going to say uh, um, I would have guessed you know more than that I don't know if that means mm. it's up 28%. Um, but And movies, watching movies and watch parties, I think is definitely a big thing now. I feel like a lot of young adults are catching up on all the movies that they, you know, people have recommended and they've never seen, or maybe movies their parents have said, oh, this is a great movie. You got to see it. Uh, So they're getting caught up and that's a good distraction from the circumstances, I would say. I. Yeah, some are doing watch parties like that. Now, us personally as a family, we're watching some of these together. Like we just watched um, uh, Top Gun last night. My kids had never seen Top Gun. So, um, you know, we got a good rendition of uh, Kenny Loggins. That seemed low to me. What's the song? There were a couple of good songs that made a debut on that soundtrack. Highway to the danger zone, and then take my take my breath away. Yeah, I mean, some of the conversations I've had in the last couple of weeks. Uh, young adults playing games. What do you think? Jeremy? Online with each other, Un- they're not able to get together to go do other stuff. So what they can do is game. They wow. can do that live, and they can talk with each other while they do that. And so, um, I've been hearing a lot of chatter about that among that the movie young adults. Is what that I'm first inspired me to want to join the military, and, and which I never a- did, and also to own a motors. To own a motorcycle. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
But they're, are they watching them together from multiple different locations? Is that what you're alluding to? Oh, man. Highway to the danger zone. Oh man. Just a walk in the park, Kazanski. <laughs> I've never seen that movie one. Um, Watch party yeah. right now. Get off Facebook Live. Actually, just stream the movie right now while we're streaming. It'll only take a couple of hours. There's a <laughs> <laughs> sorry the gen xers jumped all over you while you were trying to talk about never seeing this movie no you're you're good um that yeah that's um yeah i i just never gotten around to to watching it uh i was gonna say i i know that a lot of uh, like netflix watch parties um I know my wife has been a part of those with, you know, for her, it's, um, some of them have been like newer movies. I know that I've also talked to a lot of people that it's been, they're watching, um, a movie with friends and they've got the, you know, the chat box where they can be talking to each other the whole time and they'll watch one that they've seen together or, you know, like something like Harry Potter or star Wars where you can be watching it and talking about it, but like you can kind of multitask a little bit easier, um, without it being a newer, like a, a novel movie that you haven't seen before. Um, and then I know that we've even in our, um, small group at church, we do Zoom calls where we play Jackbox over Zoom, which is doesn't work as flawlessly um, as playing those kind of group games does when you're in person. But um, even with some of the lag, it um, is a, a fun time and a good excuse to be able to to connect. So I, I think um, the things you guys have touched on from this article um, are are spot on. The thing that I'll be interested in to, is to see um, how these things continue to play out um, as we move um, into non, um, I don't know what the right word would, term would be, like non-quarantined but socially distanced life to where we're still able to, we're, we're able to start getting to, to go to more things, see people a little bit more frequently in person, but still have to um, be asked to be socially distanced, um, and, um, careful when we're doing those things. So how will these things continue, you know, um, will become a hybrid of like, um, continuing online things, which I think will be the case along with, and having that supplement in person things. Cause I think as meaningful as it's been to see, um, a lot of people that I love and care about, uh, over, different, um, technological platforms, the things that have been most meaningful have been those who I'm, I wouldn't see like who don't live here in Nashville, like as good as it's been to see people in Nashville over zoom people from my church and stuff. Um, I'm ready to see them in person where, um, one of my favorite zoom calls I've had was, um, with, um, some people that we served with as missionaries in West Africa and ones in Arkansas and ones in South Africa. Um, and haven't seen yeah, them in I person think it would for be over fun a year. If it's a movie and you're so, familiar with, like um, that was that was great. Like, I'm, that was, I'm the type um, that if I'm watching something like new, I would like yeah, to continue like doing that. To be quiet, uh, but on a consistent if you could basis, kind of like texting um, so and think, chatting with people. I don't know. During it's a movie, an interesting I think article, be and I'll be interested to see how it continues once we're not like, locked into our room. 
my kids know that I have. I a think rule, I'd be the worst person to do a movie watch party with. A like, I would, during a show. like if we're going to connect, I want to talk to you or talk about what we're doing. You know, like we're talking together, we're hearing each other, we're interacting. And if there's a, like a, if there's a passive thing that's like, if we were scrolling a movie right it's now, I'd be much the to first like, time. And really, just it's mostly you with know, make smart comments. Uh, like, we, Survivor. If we really did stream so Top Gun right now. A new, a, you know, a new episode of Survivor. Have to some copyright. If other people some are in the room law. and they're trying to carry out conversations, how, I'll how pause is that legal the TV. To stream movies and I won't so say anything. I'll just pause it. And I think you all have to have Netflix until everybody's right? like, I think oh, you, sorry, it's Dad. Like they, it's some plug-in <laughs> or something that they've allowed so that you... I'm like, no, it's okay. Um, you can talk. I'm just going to wait. You have to have access to it. I'll, I'll start it. Um, but you can topics. watch it together at the same time <laughs> and, creates, and pause it. It's an awkward moment. Um, and so but... it's kind of, like a, kind of like a backdoor thing that they've provided just for this time right now. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> Uh. Uh. Yeah. Okay, Chris, Chris. Chris, are you one where it's anytime you're watching it, or is it like if it's this is the first time I'm watching it? This time, no one can be talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But not with my wife. Not with my wife. She won't watch it. She hates all the kind of drama you know, that goes avid on. Survivor fans. Um, you know. The, the funny that, thing is, I can imagine both kind of, of the two of you going on Survivor uh, and doing very, very same, well. But I'm so into the, um, I can, the I, actual I could, Survivor. I, I would do terrible The mechanics of um, one, because you know, I would going be hungry and doing these challenges and like obstacle courses. And, uh, <laughs> I would, I would love to watch the two of you on there. So. Storms and Here, Here's the problem with that. I, we were, we were Deborah and I, my wife, were, were Survivor fans for years. Like We watched season one. Not really sure how Survivor took off after that. That was a that. I mean, Chris, did you watch season one? Okay. Um, and then we were intrigued. Australia that season that was my favorite. That's ever before we were looking at going to Australia or even knew anything about you know that. I just love the Australia season. And then we watched on for a few years. And then is it Rupert? Rupert's from Indianapolis, isn't he? He's a guy yes, that was on is. the Pirate. Yeah, he was on that like Pirate. We, we lost somewhere along the years with Survivor. It just like got to be the same thing for us. And so we, 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 we kind of lost it. Chris, have you been a fan all these years? That's awesome. So here's, here's what I gleaned from Survivor. Okay. Okay. Well, look... Yeah. Yeah. 
it yeah, usually no, is that's, kind of I think that's part of it that really intrigued me. It was the politics. You know, it, was the, it was the relational they, politics of it and how people Christian can work in the system. Who, but the thing that always disappointed you know, me, and this was probably why behaves um, in a way that I, I wouldn't trust myself going on a survivor, Jeremy. But I've, uh, I've thought about doing an audition tape over the years. Um, not anytime recently. Um, so it's always. I always felt like it got down to the last three, and one of them was a Christian. And what they chose to do in the in the final three that compromised how they would normally live their lives in an ethical or moral or like Christ-centered way. In the game, they gave themselves a pass because it's just a game. And then they they used that while they were making everybody pray before all the meals up until this point in the game. But then they get to that final thing and they make a compromise where they're like, forget you. I don't really care about you. It's just a game. And when I get done here, I'll go back to you know being a Christian like I normally am. That always really disappointed me. I was I would always hope that a Christian wouldn't get to the top three because I was always going to feel like they were representing me, and then they made a bad choice. But then they got me reflecting on like, what would I do, and would I would I make that bad choice? Projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep it in closet, you know, with the prayer stuff. Uh, but here's one. Here's one positive thing I feel like I gleaned from Survivor that applies to Culture Corner and Corona. And before we transition to the book. Um, I made the recommendation to our youth pastor because I'm on our volunteer on our youth staff as well at our church. I like it, man. After the last I few like weeks it. of if, Zoom, you know, you get enough people on the and then they would the edge of extinction. There, I think this applies you to young adults, maybe in a classroom setting with a professor and other fellow students in class yeah. in Zoom, maybe. But so there's, there's always been these one or two. So there's definitely uh, you know, seventh grade boys. Help, usually it's junior you know, high group that I'm survive, paired with. You know, in and they the don't world of mic, and they're doing all this stuff, and they're young playing games, survive. and they're totally off topic. And it's different than in person because you yeah. can you're there and you have proximity, and you, there's this. Unless Jeremy was going to, unless Jeremy had a comment about Survivor before we totally segue, just stay with us. On Zoom, it's a totally different beast. So I recommended here's a Survivor connection. Can we create a Zoom exile island where there will be a youth staff person mm. in this breakout room? Or if you wait until young adults are perfectly breakout ready room leader give them can exile somebody from my Zoom call to that other room. Yeah. And if they get out of hand or if they're just totally off topic oh. and I can just press a button and they will go there. Can we do that? He's thinking about it. I think I think I'm gonna get mute privileges at the very least. For my breakout room, I can be trusted with that. <laughs> In fact, who would that be? That's right. You oh. can earn your right back into your small That's group right. breakout. That's right. Exile Zoom. That's right. Oh, our little, our gigantic 30% off discount is now officially over. So sad. Uh, but mm. numa.coffee. Transition to chapter Use nice. the discount code YAMCAST and you'll get free shipping on any order. 
That was a much yeah. better segue than what I was trying That's to think spot, up right now. Man. So that was, that. that was perfect. Because I know one of the things that will not allow your uh, young adult ministry <laughs> yeah, to survive is if you give to up use it. too soon. The discount code YAMCAST. Yeah, is, free shipping. That's exactly what I was reading. I can say that. Which are the two things that we're going to talk about Yes, exactly. <laughs> Guys, we can't all segue at the same time. We can't all be on point at the same time. Somebody needs to be rabbit trailing to bring us back in. You know That's who that works. You know who do you know who won't exile you to uh, an island just because you talk too much? Jeremy. The the sponsors and ads of this amazing podcast. Who That's right. Because <laughs> we don't have any. Uh Numa Numa Coffee. Oh, that's right. There, there's that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really? Is that a thing? You're gonna go. You're gonna go. Add that in on the back end after we get done here, or just while we're talking. <laughs> I hope I have one Facebook friend that is gonna is is, is gonna fact check this right now. <laughs> Better. So That's as awesome. we've been as we've been continuing our conversation about sustainable young adult ministry, um, you, it is. Yeah. No. You're. Yeah. Um, a great book by Mark DeVries and Scott Pontier. And we've been talking through the first half of the book over these last few episodes about the different mistakes that can be made in um, trying to create and nurture a sustainable young adult ministry. And so this week, we're wrapping up the last two mistakes that are detailed um, in the first half of the book, which are mistakes number five and number six. Wait until you're ready. And um, no, I just lost my place. And the other one is giving up too soon. And so... Um, yeah, so let's um, continue our, our conversation with this. So the first one is wait until they're ready. What do we? Uh, what stuck, stuck out to you guys uh, from from this chapter, um, and as it relates to your own our own experiences in young adult ministry? Yeah, I'm just looking over the different things I highlighted, my quotes, and you know, a lot of it's just around um, older leadership not willing to either develop younger leadership or, or, or like the, the chapter title says, waiting, waiting till they're ready. Um, and that there's not a shortage of young adults that want to lead. There's a shortage of older adults. that are willing to allow young adults to lead or equip them, equip them to lead. And I think one of the local examples for me in, in this is we didn't have any young adults that were stepping forward saying we really need a young adult ministry. The question usually came up when somebody came in the front door and asked if there was a young adult ministry. I didn't have any young adults come to me saying, um, can I please start up a young adult ministry? Um, it, was, it was older leaders in the church, like older leaders, like I was going to say like myself, um, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'll let it slide for me. Um, they were going, what are we doing with our young adults? And what can we do? And what's sustainable? Um, and then going to a few young adults and asking them, what, you know, what do you think about this? And would you be a part of the connection point on 
um, a connect on Sunday mornings and then just starting it up and then trying it for a year and then working with older young adults. And I think specifically with the older young adults is where the, the leadership aspect comes in for development. Um, and I, one of the ones that I consider to be a leader, she might even be listening right now, Cassie. Um, when I asked her just point blank, do you want to lead something? She's like, I have no interest in leading something. I, I need something to be a part of. Um, I've got so much going on. She's, you know, she's working in clinicals and, and, and in the medical fields. Um, she texted me this morning and asked, um, uh, if she could share the zoom link online, uh, for the young adult connect time. I was like, we can't do that. You can share that's happening, but then they need to get the private details. And we just didn't want anybody to zoom bomb because our, you know, young adult connect time is so popular. No one showed up this morning besides me, but that's fine. Um, but Cassie had just ended her shift and she worked all night and she was going to bed and she's going to watch our church service later. She told me, she told me that she loves doing that and the connectivity of that. Um, Cassie is one of our young adult leaders. But it's not because she came to me and said, I want to be a young adult leader. It's because I, I recognized her as a leader, asked her if she wanted to outright lead. And she's like, no, I'm not interested. And this is what I did. I went, okay, I'm just going to have her be a leader, but not call her a leader or tell her she's a leader. But I'm going to ask her advice on everything that we do all along the way as we gather people along. And so that's kind of been my approach of. Um, I've been asked the question over the last few years on different ideas I've had for young adults. Do young adults want that? Are young adults looking for that? And I think it's a really good question. But I think if I wait for young adults to ask that question, we won't have started anything. We've just been waiting around. Um, and I think they're, again, waiting for an advocate. I think they're, they're, they may not even be waiting for anything. They're just glad that somebody asked and are willing to participate in something. And in that, they exhibit leadership. And I'm going to stop there for now. I would say there's two kinds of waiting that happens, and some of it is self-imposed, kind of as you were describing um, with Cassie. Um, you know, sometimes somebody not really wanting a leadership role or they just want to be a part of something. At least that's their perception so far. But then the other thing is, you know, in the church, and I know when I tried to do young adult ministry in a kind of official capacity at the church I'm at now, um, I was hesitant to put young adults like in complete control of say the worship, the worship band or, you know, teaching times or some of the official kind of things we were doing, the programming, like leading a class. Um, like I started a, uh, a Sunday school class for young couples, basically. And looking back, I was just, and I think my thought was, yeah, I want to apprentice some young leaders um, but I just never did. And I think unless you have an intentional process to really apprentice young adults into ministry in a good, healthy way, it tends to just not happen. The, the older, the old guard, whatever, of the church or people who, um, whatever we perceive as having been sufficiently trained, we just kind of allow them to keep doing, you know, things. But there's a different... I think there's a different conversation here if you're talking about just within the context of the young adult ministry or if you're talking about the life of the church, are we waiting um, until young adults are ready? Are we not giving them a chance? And I think in the chapter, and I'll wrap up here, I just think the point they make is we're basically either asking too little of young adults 
or kind of expecting too much. Sometimes we expect a young adult to come in and do ministry at the same level that some of us would who have been to seminary and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we expect too much. Um, but then on the other hand, we ask too little. And some young adults don't step up to some of the things we'd like for them to step up to because we're we may not even be asking enough of them. It's not significant enough of a role for them to care um, much about it. So. To me, those are some of the a little bit of the the reasons that this this is a mistake. Basically, waiting till young adults are good and ready, you know, to be developed leaders. Yeah, I think there's a difference um, in in between delegating responsibility and delegating tasks. And too often, for young adults, we can say, "Hey, do this task uh, and do right. this," and um, still kind of micromanage. And that I think talks about that dichotomy that you mentioned where it's like either too much or too little, where it's like, we're going to ask you to do these little tasks um, and micromanage you to a point where if you succeed, it won't feel like you actually succeeded. Um, but if you fail, Hey, you were the one doing it. So it's, it's your responsibility. Um, and you get to, you get to own that um, where, uh, I mean, it, it does. T- and it, it's addressed in the book. And I know we've seen like, it's just um, handing over, um, the keys to something, um, regardless of age, but especially for, for younger adults who are still working up the, the resume as it were of, um, experience to be able to hand that to somebody and say, Hey, run with this, um, is, does take a, a degree of trust and, um, a willingness to be able to have uh, bumps in the, in the road and make failures as you go, knowing that it's from that, that you can iterate and begin to to change and grow uh, within a ministry and with the church. I think one of the things that I've um, seen both in my own local church setting and in others that's been really um, inspiring for me is seeing how uh, very often when you're working together towards some mission and some uh, mission work, that that is when people across age groups can come together and work in in a singular direction. And we have the unique opportunity right now where um, most of what we're doing is uh, the quote-unquote work of mission because um, most of our gathering stuff isn't happening. And so I know for our church, some of the compassionate ministry work that we're doing is being um, facilitated and participated in by people across uh, generations because it's important work and it's stuff that everyone can get bought into. And so one of the things that I hope we can continue as we continue to move past lockdown and moving towards um, life, whatever the new normal is, is that we can continue to find ways to engage in mission across generations. Well, do we have more we want to talk about in this chapter or are you ready to move to the next one? I was just looking at an article. I can't remember how I got to this article, but it was five surprising characteristics of churches that are actually reaching the next generation. And one of the points they make in there is is kind of about, like one point is passion over polish. Um, and I think these really connect with young adults, um, that they want to see passion over just a fancy high-tech, great lights, blah, blah, blah kind of stuff. Um, But the other one I was thinking right there is the mission over money. So uh, valuing mission over um, money or, you know, in some churches, there's just always talk about 
budgets are giving or, oh, we've got to have this, we've got to have that. Um, and so the idea of the of money following mission, um, and that just resonated for some reason with what Jeremy was just saying. Um, Young adults are a long-term investment. We talked about that last episode some, but that's that's the way that I see. I think I think that's the selling point to people where they fall in the continuum more towards the money side of the money mission continuum. You need we need both, and they merge someplace in the middle. Um, this is a long term investment we're making. So how do, how how can we best invest into that? Yeah, and to me, one of the the over arching takeaways, I guess, from this chapter would be that if if we're keeping in mind that we're not trying to just create a young adult program, but we're trying to create an environment in which young adults are um, developed and valued and engaged, um, that the key, the key mistake here is just waiting, not not giving up some space within leadership environments in our churches uh, for young adults because we don't think they're ready for it. Um, but it does take it does take extra effort and engagement to help apprentice and develop a young leader. So we have to be committed to that and not just you know throw it at them, let them you know fail or flop around a little bit and this oh, see, I guess you weren't ready for that, were you, huh? Yeah, so, okay, here's here's a couple quotes that I'd highlighted. We have the opportunity to cultivate reliability and leadership among young adults. Instead, most churches bounce erratically between expecting perfection and expecting nothing at all. Well, that's where I got it. And that's <laughs> basically what, what you just said. And that's uh, and I think that's where I see... Oh, well, that's good. You just put it in your own words, which is better than me just reading it out of the book. But that's that's what I've seen in the in the spaces in between where we've had really reliable young adult leadership that was really focused on a program, but it didn't have the leadership development aspect. And then there just wasn't anything for years at our church for young adults that was organized in some way. I think that shift now is more towards how did we develop those young these young leaders. And as I've been hearing you guys talk, I've been also wondering too, I think I come at this more from a I'm not mentoring someone who's becoming a pastor into a role. I'm, I'm working with people that are working in all kinds of different... Um, they're, in, they're in school. They're in all kinds of different sectors of, of business and things that they want to do with their future. But being a part of the church and being a part of the mission in their, it, a part of their church is a, is a big deal to them. They want to connect with people their age as a part of that, not exclusively. And so... Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but as I, I, I was just realizing in this conversation, um, I'm thinking about the Cassies that are becoming a nurse and what is her role for this season in her life in, in leadership among young adults at our church and a participant in that. I'm not thinking about Cassie becoming a young adult pastor and then becoming a lead pastor of her church down the road. And there's, I think there are different approaches to how people that are vocationally called to ministry we develop them as leaders and, and people that are going to be part of the church all their lives and how we develop them as, and one's not better than the other. It's just, there's different focus conversation and, and intentionality in, in the development cultivation 
of those relationships. Does that make any connection points with you guys? What I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know, whenever I've referred to leadership development around this chapter and this topic, um, I'm completely not think. Um, how should I say this? I'm totally thinking of you know just normal young adults integrating faith and life, not someone preparing for you yeah. know some like professional vocational ministry calling. Um, right. They could be, but not necessarily. Um, So I think going into this last chapter, the mistake of giving up too soon, I think especially if you kind of cumulatively think of the other mistakes, um, you know, learning about young adults rather than building relationships with young adults, that was the first mistake. Just like creating the perfect young adult worship service, thinking that's the right solution. Uh, Thinking the youth pastor will do it. Um, building a program first and then waiting on young adults to be ready. Those are the mistakes that have all brought us to this chapter, giving up too soon. I think basically this chapter is all about saying you got to be kind of have this long obedience in the same direction mentality and not just, oh, we need the silver bullet to to create the perfect young adult ministry. So this giving up too soon, I think it can happen as a result of any of these mistakes or some people, even with what Kenny mentioned earlier about, you know, you try to do something with young adults and when you have one or two weeks in a row where nobody shows up, you just kind of like, Oh, well that didn't work. Forget it. Um, That's the way in which a lot of people give up too soon. I think with, with young adults. Yeah. But what else did you guys glean from this uh, this mistake, this chapter? Yeah, I think um, talking about how um, investing in young adult ministry is something you need to see as a long-term investment. Um, I think two things that come to mind um, related to this final chapter um, on mistake number six um, of giving up too soon, but also, as you said, across the whole thing, Chris, um, across all these mistakes, is that it's not a a smart decision. It's not a wise decision to make that investment for the long term because solely because it means there'll be people in the church in 30, 40 years. It's um, in order for the church to continue to be relevant and meaningful and engaged in the mission of God today, we need people of all ages involved. And so it's not just like, a, oh, we're going to hook you now so that we have you for the long term. Um, it's we as the collective right of Christ cannot fully be who we are called to be today. If we don't fully reflect uh, all the daughters and sons of God uh, that uh, are a part of the world right now. And so um, as a part of that, being willing to be invested in the long term and make the mistakes now to be able to, to learn together. And one of the things that stood up from this chapter um, that I thought, I think summed it up well for me was, uh, you don't grow a tree by dipping the roots in the dirt once every few weeks saying that you just can't try different things and then stop. You can't, um, I think, and that in terms of discipleship and mentorship, it, um, it applies, uh, across the board that, um, it has to be, you have to be involved in something consistently, um, in terms of, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis, but also in the long term as well. Um, that it's, it's something that you have to be able to be invested in, in the long term and, um, that it needs to be deep as well. 
uh, when we're engaging young yeah. adults, when we're engaging anybody in, in ministry within, um, our, our Christian circles. I really resonated with the Winston Churchill quote at the very beginning, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I excel at that on my better days. I excel at this. And I, I think the posture that I want to take um, as, as a, a leader of young adults with young adults at my church and that I want to invite, and I hope, I think that we're inviting people to is um, not just trying something. And if it doesn't work, then let's just start all over again, or it didn't work and, and we'll just not do anything. Um, but say, we're going to do something with young adults and that's going to look different in different seasons. And we're going to invite young adults to be a part of that. And we're always going to do those things. And here's the values and here's the principles that we're going to focus on for that. And this ministry is going to look different in different seasons because it's got different people and, and the times are always changing. So instead of we're going to try something with young adults, and if it doesn't work, then I don't know what we're going to do. It's just, we're always going to be doing something with young adults. Uh, what is that going to look like? Who, who's going to be the point of the spear on that? Who are going to be the champions of it? And who are they going to rally to cultivate and develop in, in relationship? And instead of a giving up too soon, it's just, we're never going to give up. The rally cry is we're never going to give up. We're always going to be seeking out young adults. We're always going to be involving them in the life of the church. We're always going to be uh, failing and succeeding forward. And, and when we are committed to being the hands and feet of Christ in our local communities, in our city, our local context, engaging in God's mission where we are, that's when you make that commitment, it's not always like, hey, we're always, not that this is a bad thing, but it's not like we're always going to have a Sunday school class, but it's like, if we're always engaged in God's mission, that is going to, um, that is going to draw people in of all ages that are, that want to see the world made right and the broken healed and the stuff that is ugly made beautiful again. And, mm-hmm. and that holistic new creation work that we, that we believe in as Christians, that that is going to continue to draw people. in. I think one of the things that I love most from the end of this chapter was um, it was a quote from an interview um, that uh, a young adult shared, you know, I, so much of what takes place in my parents' church is just keeping the doors open but that's plotting Christianity. It has no urgency about it. It's more concerned about the people in the church than those outside of it. And not that um, some children of God are not uh, more important than others, but if we are to be Christ-like in our daily lives, our our Christ is one who left the 99 to go find the one, um, not out of a, a lack of love, but because of so much love for those who had not yet um, found him as the shepherd. And so it, the, the unique thing that we have in this season of the church is that um, we don't just have to figure out ways for the church um, to be sent because for a lot of us, um, we are now in this in-between season where our facilities are closed or have been closed. And so uh, the church is is out. The church is outside of the building because we haven't been allowed to be inside the building. Um, and that will obviously mm-hmm. change in the weeks and months ahead. But I hope we don't we don't lose that and that imagination for how can we continue to be uh, the body of Christ out in the creation of God. That's good. Good. So, hey, the secret is keep a church on mission and just 
continually be building relationships with young adults who happen to be in the church, of course, um, and those outside of the church. But I think that's what Kenny was kind of saying there. Like, it's not, it's not an option to, to at some point say, Oh, we're not going to do young adult ministry. Um, because it's a, it's a demographic that is part of the church, even if it's a small part. Um, and it's certainly a part of our lives. Um, so. And it's a moving target, but you can yeah. do it. We can do it. Yeah. Any other parting thoughts before we close it out? I just love the fact that, that Kenny and I can verbally process these thoughts. And then the wise sage in Chris Bean will just be like, this is it. And I can explain it in six words. And I can explain what you said right and what you said wrong. And this is the wisdom we should draw from it. You're just naturally skilled at that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> we compliment each other. <laughs> I got to have more of this podcast in my life to build my self-esteem. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, you can listen to it over and over again once I get them all posted. I think the, I think the last thing that I want to highlight um, before we go, both for those um, who are watching this on Facebook Live, and then if you're listening to this after the fact um, on um, an audio podcast platform of your choosing, I want to make sure that we highlight again the the amazing offer that Chris provided for us with Numa Coffee here a little bit ago. Because in the oh, midst yes. of re- in the midst of recording this. And in his just amazing awesomeness, uh, Chris has made that offer already live. So can you explain that to us again, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So we started, for those who don't know, Numa Coffee exists to help uh, us do campus ministry at the University of Cincinnati. Let's see if we can get a shot here. Numa Coffee. Choice. Uh, it's like a flag in the middle it of that is. Key, Flags isn't it? represent community. And Numa mm. means breath or air. So air animates a flag. Coffee animates people. The spirit animates kingdom people. Um, so yeah, Numa Coffee. Um, like it, that like is it. one of our ways to help support ministry to college students. And so uh, I'm one of I'm the main roaster for Numa Coffee, and I'm one of the co-owners. So I get to just make up deals like this. So discount code YAMCAST. Go to Numa.coffee or NumaCoffee.com, either one. Um, look at the coffee there, pick out a coffee you like, order it in the discount code option. Just throw in YAMCAST and you'll get free shipping. Numa Coffee is awesome. (laughs) Cool. Well, until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. And be teachable. Hey, be flexible. And hey, we're always trying something new. That's right. Cheers. See you guys. See ya.